Good morning and welcome to the fifth episode of our Sciences Po 2020 podcast series on city diplomacy, where the role of city networks is further explored. Today, we will be focusing on the Human Rights Cities Network, its story, action, functioning, successes, room for improvement and future objectives. My name is Marta Zaragoza Navarro, and today I will be joined by my Sciences Po colleague, Jonas Vol. Hello, Jonas. Hello, Martha. Also, it is with great pleasure that I'm already telling you that Mrs. Frédéric Canotier, director and founder of the Human Rights Cities Network, will be joining us later on during the podcast to help us shed more light on the network. We already warmly welcome her and thank her for her time and useful insights. Today's podcast will be structured as follows. At first, I will focus on explaining the general concept of human rights cities, as well as the story and structure of the Human Rights Cities Network. Later on, I'll be giving the floor to Jonas to elaborate on the present and future challenges and opportunities of the network and briefly walk us through a practical example of a human rights city. Mrs. Hanuti will be joining us then to briefly discuss the network and especially how COVID-19 has impacted it. Let's briefly remind our audience about what city diplomacy is. Sure. So, as Roger van der Plurim and others put it in the book, The Expanding Role of Cities in International Politics, city diplomacy is a set of processes by which cities engage in relations with actors on an international political stage with the aims of representing themselves and their interests. But let's go back to our main topic of the day, the Human Rights Cities Network. Let's discover together, only if you agree, Jonas, of course, uh, its origins and core features. Let's go. Okay, so did you know that the Human Rights Cities Network, also known as HRCN, was launched in 2018, not so long ago? Actually, it was in Barcelona as an effort to institutionalize the Human Rights Cities movement into a network to help make human rights a reality for every citizen in every city, and in doing so to foster participatory democracy and social justice. This, with and through a team of like-minded people, committed pro bono to acknowledging the vital role cities play in protecting, promoting and fulfilling human rights. However, before going any further with your explanation, may I ask what is a human rights city? Oh yes, um, totally. So again, quoting someone, Lisa Rodenberg from the Hague University Institute for International Law, defined in her publication Human Rights Cities, what do they have in common, that a human rights city is a city where public services are delivered in the interest of the people and where human rights act as the core value on how the city is run, which means that A, everyone can be involved in the planning, shaping and implementing of local policies, and B, that everyone is protected from any kind of discrimination and injustice. The Human Rights Cities Movement started in Argentina in 1997, in the city of Rosario, and the movement progressively spread to the rest of the world. The first city in Europe to declare itself a human rights city was Graz in Austria in 2001. Then in 2011, the South Korean city of Gwangju even launched the first World Human Rights Cities Forum, a forum that is still being annually held, by the way. The process for cities to become a human rights city works as follows. 
It is usually initiated, at a local level, at the initiative of the city, by a group of like-minded people, generally representatives of the municipality, decision-makers, the civil society, and or academia. At the end of the day, there is a wide variety of approaches on how, when, and if to make a city a human rights city, as these criteria are created by each city for each city. For example, there is a rich diversity of approaches among human rights cities across Europe, but also across regions including Asia and the United States. Exactly. There is a strong interest to build bridges and to further exchange good practices, but also to develop regional and global networks of human rights cities. For example, the 2018 Guangzhou World Human Rights Cities Forum even specifically recommended the development of a global Human Rights Cities Network for 2020. Hence why the Human Rights Cities Network we are focusing on today was launched in 2018 to further expand the knowledge on human rights cities and to contribute to this project of increasing access to resources and best practices of human rights cities as well as of advocating for them. However, it is not the only organization that does so as there are several other key players in the field such as, for example, the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, the United Cities and Local Authorities, the US Alliance of Human Rights Cities, and more recently, even the UNESCO. Now that we are all on the same page, let's continue specifically discussing the Human Rights Cities Network. Great, I was just waiting for it. So the network promotes model cities and encourages others to become one. Its main activities could be divided in two main categories. One, competence building, and two, advocacy. For the first one, competence building, the network shares knowledge on what constitutes a human rights city. It connects people and makes sure good practices are accessible to all through their website, which has one open access part devoted for the general public, and in the future, once more funding will have been secured, expects to build one hidden one that is only for members and partners. In a few words, the website acts as a catalyzer of the different human rights cities-related frameworks, good practices, spearheading initiatives, conventions, and useful instruments that already exist by summarizing all of them in a unique online platform, which is actually at the core of the network's action. The current goal is simple, to increase the number of human rights cities in Europe. In this sense, every city or existing network in Europe, uh, which is committed to protecting one specific right or one category of fundamental rights, is invited to join the Human Rights Cities Network, not only to build on each other's expertise, but primarily to become a human rights city. Actually, the HRCN online platform helps individuals, policymakers, and scholars in the sense that it allows everyone to enlarge their knowledge and keep themselves informed on possible developments on the topic, as well as to directly connect with the network, ask questions, and talk about human rights cities or share useful information to contribute to the platform's development. But above all, this online platform creates an interactive community of human rights practitioners. With that being said, while the network's regional expertise and current focus are on the European region, the idea is also the one of going beyond 
not only by continuing exchanging best practices with other non-European regional networks, such as the US Alliance of Human Rights Cities, but also by cooperating even more at a global level with key stakeholders, such as the World Human Rights Cities Forum, in which the Human Rights Cities Network is a member of the International Committee, the UCLG, already mentioned in our previous podcasts made by several colleagues, and last but not least for now, the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, with which the AHRCN is currently collaborating to develop a global human rights cities framework based on regional networks and including within the UN system. Now for the second category, advocacy, and more briefly this time, the network acts as an expert, a referent in the field of human rights cities. This is why it is invited to A, participate in numerous conferences and events on the topic, to B, contribute to the writing of several reports when encommended by high-level entities like the UN Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner, or even C, to contribute to the drafting of action plans, such as the EU Action Plan on Human Rights and Democracy for 2020 to 2024. Ultimately, what the HRCN is aiming for is to embrace existing human rights initiatives under one overarching network, promoting a human rights-based approach in the way cities are governed. But Marta, could you please tell our audience how they organize this overarching network? Sure. So the network is governed by a team of six members, supported by an advisory board who accounts four members and is composed of senior human rights practitioners who set the direction of the network and oversee the work. This advisory board includes members as prestigious in the field of human rights as Sciences Po and Université de Louvain professor Olivier Deschutter, recently appointed the UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty and Human Rights by the United Nations Human Rights Council at its 43rd session in March 2020. Guest member cities and associate members also are key actors within the network as they are the ones sharing new ideas and taking current concepts to their own cities. And what about the mayors? Well, it is true that city mayors do not play a crucial role in the well-functioning and structuring of this organization, contrary to how other city networks usually work. Also, as the network was started on a private initiative, more specifically the one of Mrs. Anotier, its founder and current director, no city is considered as a founding city and all lie in foot of equality in terms of visibility as well as formal and informal impact within the network. The way it works, the Human Rights Cities Network invites European cities committed to respecting, protecting and promoting a culture of human rights to become a guest member by sending them a formal letter. Actually, seven are the human rights cities within the network uh, right now. Graz, Lund, Middelburg, Nuremberg, Utrecht, and last but not least, York. And these cities contribute to raising awareness on the philosophy, concepts, and methodological aspects of human rights cities, and thus promote their advancement. Thank you, Marta. Now that we know what the Human Rights Cities Network is, what it does, and where its priorities are located, I'd like to take a deeper look into some of its strengths and opportunities, as well as the weaknesses and threats. However, it should be evident that the case is not always that clear. 
there are certain things that might be considered as strengths by some, as challenges by others. So, I am going to start with the biggest strength of the network, which is, in my eyes, its openness. The HRCN describes itself as an interactive community, which is strong thanks to the diversity of its members. Oh, and Jonas, if you don't mind me trying to speak on behalf of our listeners, what do you mean by that? Well, the diversity can already be seen by a look at the active member cities, which range from Vienna as a huge capital with almost 2 million inhabitants to the small Swedish city of Lund, which counts less than 100,000 citizens. The diversity, as Frédéric Anotier put it, makes the members stronger thanks to the possibility to exchange their often very different approaches, methodologies and processes. The openness, on the other hand, shows in the fact that the network is quite outwards oriented. That means that through the website as its main resource, there's also lots of information available for cities and other actors outside of the membership, including citizens. We also see lots of cooperation between the HRCN and other city networks, especially those in the human rights area. One of the great strengths that we see in the network is something I call the power of knowledge. This aims at the scientific orientation of the network. As we've discussed earlier, the HRCN is not like your typical city network. We also see that in a strong focus on research, on best practices and the best possible exchange of information and learnings between the cities. This includes lots of different activities like events, meetings, workshops and so on. Not to forget the so-called Excellence Knowledge Center on the website that gives access to lots of information for the public as well as for members. Cities are becoming more and more important actors in international relations or, like the researchers Carina Gomez da Silva puts it, bringing human rights home starts with local action. However, there are still many areas concerning human rights that are beyond the scope of cities and that are ruled by national states. Of course, we also see some challenges this network needs to face. For instance, we can take a look at the members. Even though there are other cities which, in some way or the other, participate in the network in more indirect ways, the main members, so to speak, often are less known cities. Except for Vienna, the big players in city diplomacy, like Barcelona or Paris, are now actual members. Additionally, the network seems quite Eurocentric at the moment, including only members from the European Union and the United Kingdom. However, they actually do not aim to become a global network, but to be a strong player at the European level. Lastly, the number of members still is quite small. Of course, that doesn't mean this couldn't change in the future. We are speaking of a network that was founded only two years ago. Also, as I said before, thanks to the openness of the network, you do not necessarily have to be a member to have access to some of the resources of HRCN. For example, the network also works together with Amsterdam and Napoli, even though they are no formal members. One point that I'd like to bring into the discussion is, once again, connected to the openness of the network. As of now, there is actually neither a fixed set of rules that could, in some way or the other, be enforced, nor is there a harmonized commitment framework. As the HRCN itself puts it on their website, there's no European or international minimum standards framing the development of human rights cities. Now our audience might also be thinking, how is that challenging? 
Basically, it means that every city can call itself a human rights city, regardless of the actual efforts concerning human rights. By proposing a framework, you could actually follow a set of guiding principles to implement actions, which in return provide a sort of accountability for cities. And now a question for our audience. Do you think the HRCN is aware of that? We give you three seconds to respond. Actually, they are. When we talked with their director, Friedrich Anotier, she told us that the network actively contributes to this process due to the need of a more structured approach. The key challenge here is to formalize basic principles while keeping some sort of flexibility to allow concepts and methods to evolve and to maintain the diversity of human rights cities. Therefore, the model that's preferred by the network is based on a decentralized structure with regional networks, like the HRCN itself with its European focus. These regional networks could make up a global network with the potential of facilitating direct interaction with the UN human rights system and accelerating collective learning about good practices. Right now, the HRCN contributes to two initiatives, one at the European and one at the global level. Another project they are currently working on is the so-called Global Campus of Human Rights, where they aim at performing an advisory function to academic institutions and dedicating specialized research on the issue of human rights cities. There are some other weaknesses that we don't have the time to get into in detail, unfortunately, but which I'd still like to mention. There's the fact that the network's funding is very low at this point, which makes it more difficult for them to expand their outreach. Also, cohesive strategies on the inclusion of new cities into the network are still under development. As my last point, I'd love to address two points that are rather ambivalent and that cannot really be sorted into a strength-weakness scheme. Oh really? What are those? Well, my first point is the visibility of the network. If you take a look at it, you see that it really depends on who you ask. On the one hand, the network already has a great standing among the scientific community and at high-level events. But if you look at the target audience, the cities, you'll notice that much more can be done in that regard. I'd say that there are many cities, small and big, who don't really know what the HRCN is and even some of the member cities don't mention the network on their human rights websites. The latter goes hand in hand with some sort of political clout, which would include mayors actively promoting the network to expand its range. Both the visibility among cities and the clout aren't too strong at the moment. If I might say so, what a pity. I think it's really, really a pity. Yes, I think so too. But who says the visibility and cloud can't be improved in the future? My second more ambivalent point concerns the structure of the network. The work of the HRCN strongly depends on their founder and director, Frédéric Anotier, who is a top-notch specialist in this field and who does everything she can to help the network. While this is great right now, this kind of dependency also brings some risks with it, as the network might have some difficulties without its director. However, one shouldn't forget the advisory board, which shows that there's no such thing as a complete dependency from one person. Okay, Jonas, thanks a lot for this point. Did you bring something else for us today? I did, actually. I want to tell you, the audience, a little bit about the case of Vienna, the biggest member city of the network, and a city which calls itself the human rights city of Vienna. In the so-called Declaration Vienna, City of Human Rights, 
The city pledges to respect, protect, fulfill and be accountable for human rights in all of its areas of competence. Additionally, the city has installed a human rights office which describes their tasks as follows. Raising awareness on the topic of human rights, children's rights, security policies and human rights at the provincial level and fighting human trafficking. They are working on an action plan for their efforts and cooperate with the Ludwig Boltzmann Institute for Human Rights. The head of their office is Shams Azadi. She grew up in Iran, originally worked in city planning and is the city's human rights coordinator since 2015. Oh, and by the way, she's also a board member of the HRCN. That's lovely. With that being said, now, because we don't have too much time left and because the current situation pushes us to at least mention the COVID-19 pandemic once, let's try to briefly put the network in context in the light of recent events. Let's talk about COVID. Welcome, Mrs. Frederica Nautier. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be in contact with you through this new form of communication that we are exploiting more in the context of COVID-19. And I'm very happy to be part of it and to be in contact with you and to share all we know. Mrs. Anoutier, how did the HRCN adapt to the COVID crisis? What changes did you have to implement as a reaction to the pandemic? The COVID for us was a kind of an opportunity because before we were lacking funds to invite cities to organize events, bringing cities in there. With the COVID-19 and the new way of working, of course, it was easier. So we were then able to organize two webinars with the cities participating to our network on the COVID-19 precisely to understand better what problem they have been facing, what was the advantage of being a human rights cities, what were the biggest challenge for them, how did they tackle them, how the human rights framework helped them to address the situation in the specific case. So we have also put a lot of energy to focus on the cities who are contributing and they are good model because we think they are the inspiring model who should bring other cities the willingness or the desire to be part of it and feel supported by what they are doing. The crisis of the pandemic revealed that the main actors are the cities. They are the ones doing all the work. So, first of all, they were extremely busy addressing the current situation and it was not necessarily the right moment to come up saying, what about human rights cities? Because they were focusing on vital and critical and important issues putting a human rights approach on how dealing with the crisis with a lots of challenge. At the same time, quickly, everybody start doing online webinars. So you have to compete with lots of many other things happening online. Do you see any influences of COVID on your work that are outside of the organizational aspects? Meaning, for example, regarding the implementation of human rights? This crisis is a human rights crisis. And the entire COVID-19 puts human rights at the center of what cities are doing. And we need to have a human rights-based approach to recovery, to provide inclusive solutions. As the UN say, to build back and better, we need really to have a human rights lens in the way we're providing response because the COVID-19 crisis really put human rights more into the life of the people. Uh, it's a reality. It proved that cities are the one implementing human rights on the ground and people realize 
how human rights are important in their life because they had some of the basic rights curtailed because of the lockdown, because of, you know, the measure. So a lot of element has to be taken in consideration. Non-discrimination is so important. This decision needs to be proportional to the situation of you want to address it has to be communicated transparently. So the way you respond and the way you work on it was all about human rights. And to end today's podcast, there might be no better thing than to leave the floor to Mrs. Anotier for a final remark for people who might be interested in human rights cities. A journey is to advance human rights cities as a vision of the future of humanity in which communities learn about human rights as a way of life and generate innovative and existing social and economic transformation. And, you know, I think it says all, and we are very happy and we fully embrace this journey and we hope that the Human Rights City would help to contribute and to this great adventure and cooperate in the next step to really sustain the Human Rights City movement. Thank, Thank you. you and, and goodbye. goodbye.